0: Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Come for the science, stay for the stories. For news, interviews, videos, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org. This week, scientists are hunting for the next generation of model organisms. Some of them may come from the sea. When Thomas Hunt Morgan was a zoology student at Columbia, he fled the city heat to spend his summers in the seaside village of Woods Hole, Massachusetts. It was the late 1800s. The marine biological laboratory there offered a huge amount of biological diversity to explore. Morgan researched regeneration in hermit crabs, cell division in sea urchins, and embryonic development in frogs. He moved from animal to animal, and he uncovered major insights into basic biology. With each new species. Then, in the early 1900s, Morgan was looking for an organism to test some of Charles Darwin's theories. He heard about an insect that was easy to raise in the lab and produced hundreds of offspring every few weeks. This insect, the fruit fly, sounded like just the right animal for the job. And it was. Morgan used fruit flies to show that chromosomes are the basis of inheritance. The discovery set the stage for modern genetics and earned him a Nobel Prize in 1936. Morgan became one of the most admired biologists of the 20th century. The fruit fly Drosophila melanogaster has become famous as a model organism, a test system used to study the inner workings of biology. Scientists study model organisms in order to understand biology more broadly, including issues that might apply to human health. Since Morgan began breeding his flies, the model organism approach has taken over the field. Most biological research today is centered on a select group of species, fruit flies, zebrafish, mice, and a few others. These animals are easy to grow in the lab, and researchers have developed a wide variety of tools for analyzing and modifying their genomes. The animals have greatly improved our understanding of basic biology and disease, and have earned scientists dozens of Nobel Prizes. But some scientists argue that biology needs a taste of Morgan's pre-fly days back when scientists studied a variety of organisms. They argue that by focusing on On seven animals out of the nine million species on Earth, we are missing a huge chunk of interesting biology. Alejandro Sanchez-Alrado, a biologist at the Sowers Institute for Medical Research in Missouri, said we're due for a renaissance. He said, we've narrowed our focus to a handful of organisms that are statistically unlikely to represent the bulk of biological activity on the planet. In June, Sanchez Alvarado and a few other scientists organized a panel at the Woods Hole Marine Biological Laboratory, or MBL, to discuss the development of new model species. The researchers want to combine the best of both worlds by taking advantage of both nature's diversity and the tools and knowledge gained by focusing on specific species. Jonathan Gitlin, MBL's director of research, said most of the biological world lies before us unexplored and unknown. If most of what we know comes from seven organisms, he explained, imagine what we would know if we had 700. The longfin inshore squid, for example, is smaller than a house cat, but it has a nerve fiber hundreds of times larger than humans do. In the 1940s and 50s, the squid was a favorite among neuroscientists in Woods Hole, they could stick an electrode into the giant fiber and measure the electrical activity. That unheard of access revealed basics of nerve cell communication and earned scientists a Nobel prize in 1963. The woods hole squid, as it became known, embodied the approach of biologists at the time. Find creatures that were best suited to the particular problem of interest. Joshua Rosenthal, a biologist at MBL, said up until the 1970s and 80s, people chose organisms to answer certain questions based on the individual features of those organisms. The field began to close in on a handful of species in the 1980s, driven partly by the rise of new genetic tools. These tools were labor-intensive and expensive, so researchers focused on making them work in a few species. Like Morgan, they chose organisms that were easy to breed and had a relatively short generation time, such as worms and mice. That's particularly important for genetics experiments where scientists tweak a genome and have to wait for the following generations to see the fruits of their labor. Garland Allen, a historian of science at Washington University in Missouri, said because many organisms are hard to grow and breed in the lab, when someone comes up with one that has convenient characteristics, it's likely to be picked up quickly. As more scientists studied an organism, they invented tools to get a deeper understanding of its biology. That drew in even more scientists who built on the technology and findings of the previous generation. The most commonly studied organisms were among the first to have their genome sequenced, improving the molecular tools that scientists had to work with. Rosenthal said research got funneled into a small number of organisms and those dominated everything for decades. But genome sequencing is one of two major technical advances that have begun to break reliance on just a few model organisms. The cost of genome sequencing has dropped a lot, so it's easy to decode the DNA of almost any species. Rosenthal said scientists can start generating genomes for basically any organism they want. Even more importantly, new techniques for editing DNA, like CRISPR, expand the number of species that can be genetically engineered. That means scientists can tinker with genes in many organisms to figure out which are crucial for traits like regeneration, camouflage, or memory. Sanchez Alvarado, the Stowers Institute biologist, said this would have been a pipe dream 20 years ago, but that's changed in the last five years. All of a sudden, scientists can peer into the darkness much further than before. CRISPR highlights a potential benefit of exploring the outer reaches of biology. The gene-editing technology has been hailed as one of the most significant biological discoveries of the century. It was uncovered by scientists studying microbes' immune systems. Who would think, said Sanchez Alvarado, that something characterized in the backwater of biology would present itself as a remarkable tool for understanding the mechanisms of biology? A broader approach could also help fill in the biological gaps not covered by worms, flies, and mice. None of these organisms can regenerate body parts and they don't live very long. Those are two traits that could be of great interest for human health. The ocean, however, is full of creatures capable of complex reconstruction. Sponges, for example, can regenerate from fragments or even single cells. Even adult cells can develop into any kind of cell, and they can live incredibly long. In May, scientists discovered a 2,000 year old sponge the size of a minivan living off the coast of Hawaii. Unlike sponges, our own cells are mostly stuck once they acquire a specific identity. This limits our ability to repair damage to the heart, brain, and other tissues. But we share many of the same genes with sponges, so figuring out their regenerative powers might inspire new approaches to healing. Sanchez alvarado said better knowledge of how sponges work would help us understand stem cell regulation and tissue repair. That, in turn, will help us understand ourselves and the ecosystems we live in. When Carrie Alberton was choosing a lab for her doctoral research, a professor at the University of Chicago took her to see the octopus tanks. One lone egg the size of a pinky nail floated in the 240-gallon tank. Alberton said within five minutes it hatched, looked at them, changed colors, inked, and swam away. She was sold. And she isn't alone. Many biologists are fascinated by cephalopods, the group that includes octopus, squid, and cuttlefish. Octopus And squid for example have amazing powers of regeneration. In some cases they can grow new tentacles from scratch. They have a sophisticated means of communication and disguise. And despite the fact that they are invertebrates with a nervous system very different than ours, they are capable of very complex behaviors. YouTube is full of cephalopod antics from octopuses that can open jars to those that carry around a coconut shell to shelter themselves from predators. An octopus named Inky at a New Zealand aquarium made headlines around the world in April. He slipped through a small gap in the top of his tank, scampered across the floor, and slithered down a 164 foot long drain pipe into the sea. The cephalopod brain, the largest of any invertebrate, is still a mystery to scientists. They do know it's organized much differently than our own. In addition to a central nervous system, an octopus also has a distributed system of intelligence. Many of its neurons are distributed among each of its eight arms. Some species of octopus can remove an arm when attacked by a predator. The detached but active limb is left behind to struggle with the attacker while the animal escapes. MBL biologist Joshua Rosenthal said these animals are interesting because they evolved complexity through a completely different avenue. One of the top candidates for an octopus model species is the California two-spot octopus, the first cephalopod to have its genome sequenced. Its genome, published last summer, is nearly as big as our own, and it has more genes than we do. The genome hints at molecular innovations that might drive complex behavior. One of the most surprising findings of the genome study is a large family of proteins called the protocadherins. They help determine how neurons connect. Before sequencing the octopus, scientists thought that only vertebrates had large numbers of these proteins, but the octopus has 168 different kinds compared with our 58. Cliff Ragsdale, a neurobiologist at the University of Chicago who led the project, said they are now starting to look at octopus neurocircuitry. They hope this will explain why the octopus has so many of these proteins. They think a diverse group of protocadherins makes for a more diverse set of neuronal connections, Rosenthal said these proteins make a code for how to connect nerve cells. The more elements to the code, the more complex the code. But he said no one has yet been able to test this in a hypothesis-driven way. If the two-spot octopus attains model species status, Ragsdale and others will have more molecular tools to tackle these questions. They can then begin to do more controlled experiments, eliminating the genes for certain protocadherins and analyzing what happens to the neural circuitry. When Sanchez, Alvarado, Rosenthal, and Gitlin were planning their model organism workshop, they invited scientists studying an array of species, from freshwater flatworms to crustaceans, squid, and coral. Individual researchers praised the benefits of their pet organisms and how they might reveal new biological secrets. Corals could help us track global warming's impact on the ocean. Squid might give us insight into the tight relationship between hosts and their resident microbes. Crustaceans, which have a broad diversity of body plans, could show us how limbs develop. Sanchez Alvarado asked scientists to imagine that they weren't limited to the traditional animal models. We can start using. "'using organisms again for their biological attributes,' he said. "'What are the big questions we want to ask?' What organisms can we use to answer those questions? Some of these organisms have already become minor models, so studied in 5 to 10 labs rather than the hundreds or thousands of labs focused on flies, mice, and worms. Sanchez Alvarado and a handful of others, for example, study a planarian flatworm as a model of regeneration, but it's difficult for individual labs to develop new model organisms. The process is risky and requires time and groundwork, which may interfere with some scientists' ability to get grants and publish new papers. MBL leadership aims to make the process more systematic. The lab wants to be a hub for producing new model organisms, taking on some of the foundational work. The goal of the June workshop was to begin to select their top candidates. Like Thomas Hunt Morgan, they want organisms that reproduce quickly and can grow easily in the lab. The researchers will walk a fine line as they narrow the candidate list. Experts at the workshop urge the MBL team to keep the pool broad enough to expose the wild World of biology that remains hidden to science, but they must narrow in on a few species both because of resources and for the sake of collaboration. A model organism is most powerful when a number of experts approach it from different angles. Their target number isn't set in stone, but Sanchez Alvarado estimates that six or so new species would be useful. He said, given how much we've learned from the seven or so model systems we have, he can imagine that developing a few well-chosen organisms could prove transformative. Scientists will run candidates through a range of tests, analyzing how they reproduce, how they develop as embryos, and how they grow into adults. They'll map the organism's chromosome structure and sequence their genomes. They'll test the ease of gene editing, targeting specific genes of interest. Sanchez Alvarado said scientists have seen a burst in technology and have used it in model systems they're comfortable with. Now he said it's time to test it on new biological frontiers. He estimates the process will take 5 to 10 years Perhaps less if more scientists participate. It's wrong to think that developing new systems will take a long time, he said. Things aren't the same as they were 10 years ago. There have been advances in microscopy, genetics, evolutionary biology, and cell biology. It's impossible to know what Morgan would think of MBL's efforts if he were alive today. But given his diverse interests as a scientist, Sanchez Alvarado and others speculate he would support the plan. Garland Allen, a historian of science who wrote a biography of Morgan, said he would have been tickled that Drosophila was being used to answer so many different questions in biology, but he likely would have considered focusing on a small group of model organisms to be misguided, he added. are trying to base all of biology on seven or eight model organisms, you will be led quite far astray. That was a recap of Emily Singer's article, Biologists Search for New Model Organisms. You're listening to Quantum Magazine's podcast. I'm Karen Chakurji. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.